Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. Great to be with you all again. Um, I'm delighted to welcome back um, Brandon Robertson to the podcast today. Um, Brandon's a, um, um, an author, he's a speaker, a pastor, LGBT advocate from uh, the States. So welcome back. Thank you so much, Jim. It's always good to be with you. Yeah, we had you on a couple of years ago uh, when your first book, Nomad, uh, came out and um, you've been up to a lot since then and there's another book that's just coming out which you're involved with and we're going to talk about that today. So um, yeah, good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. Um, so tell us about what you've been doing for the last couple of years. Yeah, since the last time I was on, it's been quite quite a busy couple of years. Um, since my first book, Nomad, came out when I was over in the UK, at that time I think I was still living in DC doing some political activism here in the US. Um, but then since then I moved to Denver and I finished up my theology, master's in theology there. And then um, now live in San Diego, California, where I'm pastoring a church, uh, Mission Gathering Christian Church, which is this really cool, progressive, inclusive community here. Um, and also in that time frame, I uh, wrote these two other books, one a small little book called Gay and Christian, No Contradiction, and then the book we're talking about today, which actually came out in the UK about uh, six months ago, and then... We just released in the U.S. this week on Monday, so it's called Our Witness, The Unheard Stories of LGBT Christians, mm. and it's kind of the culmination of the work that I've been doing for years. Um, it's the work that I've been engaged in since the last time we talked of continually trying to uplift the stories that are often unheard mm. of LGBT Christians in the church and putting them in proximity to non-inclusive and non-affirming Christian leaders and seeing if we can start sparking empathy which i think is the first key to changing hearts and minds so mm. that's the work i've been doing and uh now i'm excited to have this culminate in this book so yeah so tell us about how this book came about um because um yeah it is a really 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 interesting book i've uh, had a brief look at it and uh yeah it's, it, i mean it's really really yeah. important that we that we share these stories, isn't it? I think. I think that is that. I mean, is that well, kind of is that kind of where it kind of all birthed from? Just yeah. Like, so I mean, really, being in this space as an LGBT Christian author and pastor now, um, over the past eight years or so, I guess I've been, in some level, engaged in this work, engaging with the most prominent evangelical leaders in the U.S trying to figure out how do we get them to begin to rethink how they relate to LGBT people. Um, and I've made many mistakes and had a lot of trial and error over the years trying mm -hmm. to figure out what are the best methods to help spark these conversations. Um, but this book actually came out of something I did about two years ago. There was a national uh, evangelical conference that was happening in Denver, Colorado, where I was living at the time. And all of these leaders were coming in from across the country, um, thousands of people, and they were going to be talking again, like they do so often, about LGBT issues. Um, mm. But there were no openly LGBT Christians on the speaking docket. There were lots of ex-gay people, there were people talking about LGBT people, but there weren't LGBT-affirming Christians. Um, and so... I have kind of come to the conclusion over the years that I'm really tired of um, my non-affirming siblings 
talking about me, but not talking to me. Mm. And I decided I was going to host a conference across the street from this big conference. We rented a church uh, right across the street called the conference, Our Witness. And I invited some of my friends from around the country, LGBT Christian leaders, to fly into Denver. And then we went outside the evangelical conference and handed out invitations. We made it free for every um, person from that conference to come over. And basically for a day, we hosted this event where LGBT Christians stood up and told their stories in really compelling ways. Uh, we had a couple hundred people show up in the room and people, some of the most prominent evangelical leaders show up in the room and are hearing for the first time, I think for many of them, LGBT Christians say, this is the impact of what your non-inclusive teaching has had on my life. This is what it feels like to be in a church where you're told that you're fundamentally flawed based on your identity. Mm. Um, and after seeing the impact of that event um, and the conversations that happened afterwards, I knew that we needed to create that experience in a resource that we could put in front of non-affirming people all around the world who may never be in a place to sit down with an LGBT Christian and have a conversation. So I figured that if we put a book of stories in front of their face and they read them, that they'll begin to have that process of empathic understanding um, develop within them. And like I said, I think that empathy that comes when you start to hear people's stories, when you're in proximity to people, that's what I believe is the key to changing a heart and mind. Um, I've spent so many years debating theology with people. It doesn't really change too many minds. I've spent mm. so many years just being an activist and yelling across the line. And I didn't really change many minds, but everyone who I sit down with who might be non-affirming and they see me as a human and I see them as a human, I've experienced degrees of transformation. Both of us have experienced degrees of transformation. And so that's the hope of this book is that by uplifting these stories in an accessible way and in a non-threatening way, um, maybe we'll begin to see some change in the people who encounter it. Yeah, that's really, 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 really great. That's such a good idea as well. Um, I mean, I remember doing a LGBT inclusion course, um, um, which our church did, um, and people going to that course, some people, well, one of the two people that went to that course were parents of an LGBT um, guy, and their son, um, and they, they'd, they'd always been non-affirming um, and then um, their son came out to them and they had to kind of rethink everything because suddenly it was putting flesh and bones on something that they'd just been just been a theory to them yeah. just been theology just been arguments and so they started looking into it and and listening to his story and they changed their perspective completely they did a complete 180 you know they became affirming um, yeah. and that was really, really powerful. And, um, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think story is so powerful. Yeah, I was talking about this the other day. Yeah. That story kind of is more, is a better way to convince somebody of something than like theological legalistic arguments, I think, because you can't argue with somebody's story, um, because that's their story, you know? Um, I mean, what what stories in this book kind of stood out for you? Um, that, that yeah, 
I'd love to hear that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So the process for this book was really difficult. Um, I'll start there by saying I put out a call probably, I think, two years ago now, and I asked LGBT Christians around the world to submit their stories. Um, and then I had to spend months sifting through all of these hundreds of stories that were sent in to figure out which ones were not necessarily the best. Uh, you can't really say the best with stories. What we were actually looking to do was, um, this book, I'm actually one of the proudest parts of it for me, is that it's mm. we were intentionally focusing on voices that had often been most marginalized, even in the LGBT conversation. So this book is primarily stories of people of color, women, trans people, um, and I think that's probably the most exciting part about this book, is that this isn't just the story of a bunch of white gay Christian men, because um, there are many books that have been written over the past few years by white gay Christian men. Yeah. Um, but there are stories of, I mean, I think in both the US and the UK edition, um, one of the first stories is by a woman named uh, Katie Ann Binstead. And I actually was reluctant to put her story in the front of the book because it's so dramatic. It opens up with a scene of her attempting suicide um, as a result of the rejection and the pain that she was experiencing in the church. And I'll go into this too. Why not? Uh, the book, mm. I think there are three kinds of stories in the book. It's divided into three sections. The first one is rejection. And so you have those stories like Katie's, which tell the severe harm. And then I actually do a psychological analysis of um, recent studies that have been done and put that in the book to actually show psychologically uh, the impact of non-inclusive teaching, because most Christian leaders don't realize that there is direct correlation between telling somebody in your pulpit that they are an abomination or an outsider or not loved by God and their actual mental health later on in life. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so the first part of the book is dedicated to looking at that. Um, the middle section is reconciliation. And so it's stories of LGBT people going through the journey of reconciling their faith and sexuality and talking about how hard that is and figuring out the theology and figuring out how to rethink the Bible. Um, and then I also, in that section, offer my own theology of inclusion um, and just as a tool to help people begin to engage and think through the theology. And then the final section is revival. And so we have stories of LGBT Christians that are doing amazing things in the world now for the kingdom of God. Um, stories that highlight this new thing I believe God is doing in the world where those who have held power and privilege for far too long, the white, European, cisgender, male patriarchy, is being dismantled, and God is lifting up those on the margins as the voices of influence in the church. Um, and so that last section of the book has a bunch of stories and testimonies from people that are doing really great things for the kingdom of God. And so... It's hard for me. Um, I've been asked this in a couple interviews about the book. Like, what are some of my favorite stories from it? And it's really hard to choose because you can see there's such a dynamic thread of the different kinds of perspectives that are in this book. Um, and each story is really different. And I think that's the other thing that I really like about it is you, it's a hard book to get bored with because the next chapter is not like the chapter you're reading right now. Like, the people mm. are different. The stories are different. So, uh, yeah. Wow, that's awesome! It must have been amazing to read all those, read all those stories as well for you. Um, yeah, it was a 
great experience. And honestly, I'll tell you a, a dirty little secret about it. <laughs> I started getting overwhelmed because uh, I had hundreds of stories to read. So I actually, the way the book actually got compiled was um, I found a team of Christians from around the world again, and I said, hey, help me read through these stories, and you all choose the ones that speak most to you. Um, and so I have this, the book is actually a collection of many people sitting down and reading these stories and mm. trying to find the ones that actually incited change for them. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't really know that. I mean, I I have no idea about the challenges of being LGBT and being a Christian. I mean, it's not, I think in the, in the UK, it's the, the level of prejudice probably isn't quite the same. Um, probably because we have a more secular culture. I'm just interested as well, because there are a lot of... The UK edition has stories from um, people from the UK. What yep. did you find were the differences between um, stories you got from the US or, and the ones from the UK? Or, what, or was there a difference at all? Um, yeah, I think what I actually have found in this process and actually working in publishing books and getting to hang out in the UK over the past couple of years, honestly, is that... The Christian, the culture in general, and the church in general, are actually really mirror images in both the U.S. and the U.K. Which I'm sorry for the insult that that sounds like from the U.S. with Not our Trump supporting evangelicals right now. But um, yeah, as I worked on the U.K. edition of this book, and it, we intentionally focus U.K. and Ireland, and so you have you definitely see a little bit of a difference in like stories from Belfast, right? That have definitely a little bit more of an oppressive, non-affirming culture. Um, mm. But nonetheless, I think what I discovered is that across Western culture, um, still one of the biggest things is that the Christian church in its conservative ways holds a dominant position still in culture. And mm. you hear the same stories of rejection and hurt and the severity of that on both sides of the pond. Um, and so I think while I definitely, there were nuances to the UK stories that are unique, um, mm. a couple of the stories are about the Church of England, for instance, and like that's something, our Episcopal Church is vastly different than the Church of England, and so different nuances like that. But mm. um, otherwise, the same experiences um, happen across the board. And I think the other thing to note is that probably the youngest person in this and both editions of the book are probably around 22. And so we're still talking about people that grew up in the past 30 years of these cultures. Um, and 20 and 30 years ago, 10 years ago, the culture and the church was more staunchly non-affirming than it is even now. And so you s this book is kind of a chronicle of what was going on in the past. And I hope a spark of hope for where things are changing, um, because it is amazing that Darton, Longman, and Todd in the UK would even want to publish books like this uh, mm. in 2018. Um, and so, yeah, I think the book, I hope, stands as a chronicle of the past and hope for the future. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good to revisit, in about, revisit, re revisit it in about 10 years and see what progress has been made, wouldn't it, I suppose? Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very saddened to hear about how similar we are here in the UK to the US. That is really sad. I, I didn't think we were, I don't want to say as bad, but I didn't think things were as extreme 
here as they were in the US, um, and that you know, people were committing suicide and all any of these kind of things were happening here. But it, you know, clearly that is happening. Um, yeah, and it doesn't get talked about over here because, um, and you know, it's it's horrible that that's happening. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it kind of gets me a little bit angry, I must admit, because people just not understanding what the damage that this stuff does to people, and um, and just just yes. and you can't convince them because you don't want to, you can't force an argument on somebody. Um, right. And it's just. And one of the things that I. No, sorry. No, go on. No, one no. of the things that I discussed um, is that a couple things. Um, I've been working a lot with Vicky Beeching and Jane Ozan and lots of folks in the UK. Mm. To I think a lot of people are coming to this idea right now that we need, in the US, LGBT Christian movement, and in the UK, LGBT Christian movement, to come together mm. because we're doing almost the identical work in identical cultures. Um, it was so funny. One of the things that I never expected to be doing in my life was when I lived in Colorado, I got to testify to help... Um, pass a bill in the Colorado legislature that banned conversion therapy. And then when I was mm-hmm. over in the UK in the fall, um, I got to go to Dublin and I worked with Senator Winton, uh, Fintan Warfield, who's a senator in Ireland. And we were working on this almost identical law that I was working on in Colorado to pass conversion therapy. And the realization for me, again, was in the US, we think you all aren't dealing with that over in that part of the world. Uh, conversion therapy, that's not even a conversation. And yet, legislation still hadn't been passed. Uh, progress hadn't actually been made. I think in the UK, you all are definitely a couple steps ahead of us in the US on many things. But in the Christian culture, the church moves at a snail's pace no matter where you're at in the world. Yeah. And, um, and I think we both honestly rely on each other. Our Christian cultures rely on each other more than we realize um, and so after this book has come out, I'm really excited about the potential for bridging the divide across the ocean and saying, listen, we're having the same experiences, same conversations, and we're better if we share our experiences with each other and share our resources and figure out how we can actually create universal change mm. in the church. So, yeah, I don't think it's talked about as openly by churches over here. Um, um, that's certainly been my experience Um, and it's not talked about in conferences or events as much over here the the conversation doesn't seem to happen as much over here because our cultures I think we assume that because we live in a more progressive secular culture that it's not an issue Um, which is probably why some of us have got the idea that it's it's, things are better over here Um, but Yeah, so we need to raise awareness of if this stuff is still happening and it's happening here in the UK, we need to be aware of it. We need to do something about it because I'm I'm pretty sure there's some there's probably some non-affirming Christians who are good people, you know, who are kind, generous, loving people who don't know this is happening and don't know the the impact of of what what they believe and what they what they might even say um, right. can have on people um, and. Yeah. So that's what I mean. This book is really, really important because people we need to hear these stories, they need to be told. Um, I appreciate that, and yeah, I mean, again, that's probably my favorite part of this book. This book was actually my thesis for my master's degree, and so I spent a year, two years, 
doing research um, for the first part of the book, which, like I said, is about the psychological harm that's done. Um, we still live in this weird world where we believe the lie that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And until the church takes an account of what we teach and its impact on people's lives in a bunch of issues beyond LGBT issues, we're going to continue to harm people severely. And I think one of the big arguments in the book is simply this, that if your teaching produces self-hatred and suicidality and mental distress in people, I think we can be pretty sure your teaching isn't from God. And I think that's mm. a really powerful witness to hold up to non-affirming Christians, as you said, and allow them to look in the mirror and see, wow, is this really the impact of what I'm saying? If it is, why are we preaching this? Could it truly be from God if it causes so much harm? And I think most people, because I think most non-affirming people are good people, will come down to the conclusion that, no, this isn't from God, and begin the journey towards the shift that needs to happen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's it. I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, and I agree completely that, mo in fact, all the non-affirming people I know are good people. Yeah. Some of them are my best friends, you know, um... They are loving, kind, generous, godly people, um, sure. and they are not judgmental. They are not. They don't go and tell the truth in love to gay people, LGBT yeah. people that they know. They don't do that. Um, um, you know, I wouldn't be friends with somebody who did that. To be honest, uh, <laughs> I couldn't be friends with somebody who just goes up to someone who's LGBT and tells them the truth in love that they're going to hell unless they change. You know, um, yeah. I mean that that yeah. I don't know anyone who does that. Um, um, that's just horrible. Um, but yes, you're right. Um, and it's and one thing actually is which is encouraging me too is Vicky Beeching's memoir is coming out I think later this year, um, where she's going to tell her story. I think that's going to be a a huge, um, a huge a huge moment I think because Vicky especially for the UK because Vicky Beeching obviously is English and grew up in in you know, the Church of England and um, her experiences are mostly over here. Uh, although she's had, she, I think she lived for seven years in America as well. But um, so, and she's well known over here. So I think that will, that will probably have a huge impact over here as well. Uh, yeah, and alongside, I, just got, um, I just got uh, reading that book and, um, and I'm really excited for it. I really think it is groundbreaking because what Vicky does in that book um, is similar to what we did in our witness while there is theology built in, while there is a case for inclusion built in, and me and Vicky agree, the only book I've ever read in my life that I agree with 100% theologically, and uh, our witnesses' theology and Vicky's theology are identical, um, but she weaves the theological case for inclusion in her powerful story, and I think that is something that hasn't been done very often, and I really also think it's going to be a groundbreaking book in the UK, and then over here, because she is that well-known worship leader whose songs are still sung in our churches, the yeah. most non-affirming churches in the country. So, Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping that I can have her on and interview her when her book comes out, because I would love to hear a sure. bit more of that. Um, and I'm going to be reading it um, as well, obviously. Um, so I'm just now one thing I'm one thing I'm interested in because you tell me now you're a pastor, um, and there aren't there probably aren't that many LGBT pastors around. 
So, I mean, what are the challenges that you face as an LGBT pastor um, in a culture which is, you know, an evangelical culture which is, you know, largely non-affirming? Um, although, obviously, that's yeah. changing, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, and and you know, are, there yeah. people, are there people in your congregation who are kind of non-affirming, or is it largely an affirming congregation? Yeah. So my church is an interesting place. It was started 11 years ago by um, a guy who at the time was straight, um, but he came out a couple years into being the pastor of this church. Um, and the church walked through that with him. And it's always been a progressive community. Our theology is really open-handed and open-minded. Um, and we have probably 45% LGBT people in our church. Um, but there is theological diversity. I mean, there are LGBT people in our church who I would say are side B or have a non-affirming theology. Um, and we're trying to figure out what it looks like to live together. Um, one thing for me, I don't compromise clearly when I'm in the pulpit, but um, if I'm preaching, it's going to be an affirming, inclusive theology, but that doesn't mean everyone has to agree with me. And so that's kind of the agreement we have as a community mm. is I can say crazy stuff in the pulpit every week, but it's, we're not here for me. Uh, we're here for each other as a community, and so let's do life together. Mm. But to your original question, um, it's interesting being an LGBT pastor um, for two reasons. One, it's hard um, because of the obvious reasons. People, um, if I was ever looked at as a false teacher, that has been amplified now to 10 degrees because now I actually am teaching a community of people every week. Um, and I get a lot of pushback and vitriol from the conservative community for that. Um, there was a blog post that was just written this morning that somebody sent me about making up all sorts of crazy stuff about what I believe and what I teach. And it's interesting to watch people now feel more freedom to take shots because I'm a pastor. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, it's actually been really helpful because, and I say this with all humility, one thing that my generation of the LGBT Christian movement has lacked, um, the millennials who have been writing books and speaking, very few of us have had theological education. Very few of, uh, few of us have been ordained. Very few of us have actually held leadership in churches. Mm. Um, just both because of the oppressive structures that exist, but also because people haven't been interested in that. And so for me to have the title of pastor as an LGBT person who's really open about that has actually been a really powerful tool um, to walk into spaces that I otherwise wouldn't be allowed in as just an LGBT Christian and say, I'm a pastor, I have a church, and I'm openly gay, and I date people regularly, and you have to deal with that. Um, last week I was actually at a big event we did here um, called the Red Letter Revival. Um, Tony Campola put it on, and there were a number of non-affirming pastors sitting on the stage with me who listened to me preach as an LGBT pastor about LGBT inclusion. In fact, the pastor of the church I grew up in, that is a non-affirming church, they're an open church, but not non-inclusive, mm. was on the stage behind me as I preached and then preached after me. Um, and so mm. I've been really blessed and grateful to be able to have the authority of a pastor um, and to use that to get into spaces where I can actually impact other pastors now. And so for me, the journey has been more good than bad so far. Um, and 
as I said, the problem is the increased scrutiny um, because yeah. now people think I'm a professional false teacher. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm sure there's people you can talk to about that who've had that experience mm. as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, how is... How has doing this role kind of deepened your faith and impacted your relationship with God? Um, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's helped it, but um, yeah, I'd love to hear. Yeah, um, and I see this again with humility, and um, I think the first thing I realize is that people we are all so beautifully broken um, in a way that mm-hmm. I've said as a cliche so many times, and I've talked about, and but when you're a pastor. Um, and people are now looking to you to spiritually walk with them, to walk with them through the worst parts of their lives. Uh, people pour the worst parts of themselves out in front of you, mm. which also makes the worst parts of myself come out. Uh, and that journey and that messiness has been the hardest thing um, and the most important and beneficial thing. Um, dealing with real people, being forced to be a part of a community and having to care for this community has made me realize, one, that God truly is infinite and expansive and works in strange and messy and sometimes painful ways, um, but that God is, in fact, always working. Um, I've watched Mm. people go from being really healthy to really unhealthy, and it's a mirror back to myself. Um, Mm. I think the best thing that pastoring has helped me to do is die to myself to use really christian language Mm. um it's a death to the ego because yes i get to stand up on sunday mornings and make people listen to whatever i have to say and as soon as i walk down from the pulpit these people are watching me doing life with me and expecting me to serve and to give of myself and to Mm. walk with them um and that's something that i didn't have to do when i was just an author and a speaker and uh, had the privilege of just walking around and dropping into a community and leaving. So I just really affirm that pastoring, um, it's the hardest thing clearly that I've ever done, but it's really good for me and it's a good experience. I think everybody should try it out. Maybe not, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, sounds amazing though. I mean, it is really, really amazing that we have, um, such a prominent LGBT activist as a who's being who's a pastor in a church. That is, I mean, that's so so important. Um, and that, I'm sure that's an encouragement to other people as well, other people who maybe want to be pastors and um, yeah. and are LGBT and um, yeah, that just kind of that belief that it is possible. Um, sure. And so that's really really encouraging. So. Okay, so what are your so so you also you've got you you've had this book, um, uh, Our Witness. That's that's going to be out. That's out now. It's out now in the UK. It's going to be out in America, pretty soon. Um, what's kind of next for you? What's the next kind of challenge work that you, you know, that you're going to be getting involved with? Yeah, well. I have another book coming out um, in a couple months. Um, right. <laughs> and wow. That, that one's called uh, True Inclusion. And it's basically what I've learned in the first nine months of being a pastor. It's um, 
a book. It's my probably the favorite book that I've ever written so far. Um, and what it is, it, it's me expressing my conclusions about so many churches become inclusive. They hang up a rainbow flag and they say we're affirming. Mm. And then they end it there. And as I've become a pastor, I've realized if we say that we're inclusive of LGBT people, if that's where we stop, we're not actually inclusive at all. Um, mm. Inclusion calls us to intersectionality. It calls us to include people of color and women and people with uh, disabilities and people, all sorts of people mm. that are marginalized. And so this book is me um, going through that journey in this church saying, okay, great, we're an inclusive community. You have a gay pastor. Wonderful. Well, that's not very interesting if we end it there. Like, if yeah. that's all we do, okay, you can yeah. get that at a local gay club. Like, great, a community of affirming gay people. But if we're taking Jesus seriously yes. and taking his call to welcome those on the highways and byways and margins, then we need to start deconstructing every system of oppression in our midst and in our community. Mm. And in this book, I actually come to a conclusion that scares my elder board every time I talk about it, because I'm in this place now where I really believe that the church, we should not be focusing on church growth anymore. In fact, the goal of the church isn't to get more people into the pew. In fact, we should embrace that the role of the church is to be a revolving door for people, where people come in who have been hurt and neglected and abused by people or churches or religion, they come in, they find their healing, and then we recognize that they might move on to some other version of faith or spirituality. Um, that's not, and I want to temper that, I'm probably getting off topic, but that's not saying community is not important, but one thing I have realized in this progressive space is that what's more important than trying to get people to be a part of a religious community, which is what a lot of conservative churches focus primarily on. Mm. For us progressive churches, we are called to be communities of healing. And when people heal, they might heal outside of Christianity. They might heal outside of the church. They might heal and find a new version of spirituality. And we need to be really okay with that. Um, and so anyways, this new book is basically me wrestling with what it means to be inclusive beyond LGBT issues and what it means to create communities that are actually helping people and not just trying to create churches for the sake of creating churches. Um, and that, I think, is going to take me into a new line of work where I will have a chance to go and talk to other church leaders and communities about what it means to mm. become a church that is truly embracing of all people and prepare for what that means. Um, because people are going to leave the church. Nobody wants to actually be a part of an inclusive community because it's really hard on everyone. Um, um, and, yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That sounds really, really interesting. Um, yeah, and I, I, you're right about being, about the inclusive label, as it were. Um, yeah. I do a bit of mental health advocacy, and you know, inclusion is that's part of that's part of being an inclusive church. Being a safe space for mental illness, being a safe space for um, LGBT people, being a safe space for people of colour and people who victims of abuse and all that, every, you know, every marginalised group. I mean, it sounds really basic, but that's kind of what Jesus did and the people that Jesus kind of reached out to, you know. Um, 
that's kind of like Christianity 101. And, you know, <laughs> you know, um, that's what I felt. I, I love that you just put it that way. Was that what I, the reason I love this book com- that's coming out next um, so much is I just kind of came to the stunning conclusion that this is the basis of the gospel. The basis of the gospel that Jesus preached and embodied is tearing down systems of oppression and liberating people to live healthy and whole lives free from oppression. And I don't, I know many people have said that over the past 2000 years, but <laughs> for me, it was such a mind blowing moment. And I really loved that. I got to have that mind blowing moment, writing it out on paper and getting to share that hopefully with other people that might not have thought of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's so many questions I've got in my head right now, but, um, going back to the first, the, um, our witness, um, I know you've covered this a little bit already, but what's your what's your hope for that book? Uh, your biggest hope for that book, and um, yeah, just yeah, what's your biggest hope for that book? Yeah, it is the book in and of itself is great, and I hope it doesn't end there. Um, part of what we are doing with our witness, trying to do, um, is one, I want to send it and have it sent to conservative leaders in the UK. Jane Ozan did that a couple of years ago with her book, sending um, an inclusive theology to the Synod members. Um, we're trying to do that here in the US and in the UK, sending editions of the book with an invitation and personal contact information to local LGBT Christians so that these church leaders can begin to have conversations and maybe actually create change. Um, and then the other hope of the book is that for the very many LGBT people that are sitting in pews of conservative churches right now, that they'll pick it up and hear other stories. I think one thing you hear almost every story of an LGBT Christian, and it's insane because you think in the progressive world that you and I live in, um, there are lots of LGBT Christians, but almost LGBT any LGBT Christian you go to will tell you when they first realized that they were gay in the church, they thought they were the only one. They thought there was no one else like them. And Mm. I think part of our witness, the goal, is to make sure that there is resources that are out there and available and easily accessible so that an LGBT Christian who comes to the realization that they're gay and also Christian can simply go on Google and pop up this book and have this story, uh, have these dozens of stories of LGBT Christians that they can empathize with and sympathize with and be encouraged by um, and so it's that twofold agenda, continually putting it in the places that it needs to go to create change and giving it as a tool of healing and facilitating the coming out process for LGBT people in the church. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm really excited to see this book go out and um, and your next one as well. Um, we'll have to have you back on when that comes out and talk about that a bit more. Anytime. Love talking to you, so that's good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for coming on today and talking about this. Um, I really want to recommend this book to everyone. Um, absolutely. Can't recommend it more, even more so after today. Um, yeah, I think it's what we what we really, really need. And um, also want to encourage uh, you, Brandon, for all the work you do. Honestly, it's so, so important. And... Um, you're making a big difference. I, I absolutely, absolutely necessary work, and just keep going. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, likewise, we need voices like yours that also uplift. Um, the whole point of our witness is uplifting the unheard stories of LGBT Christians, and you have been faithful to do that for so long now. Um, and I really appreciate people like you who are lifting up this issue, but also uh, lifting up so many other aspects of the church and people that have been ignored. So thank you for your work and witness as well. Oh, thank you. Well, wow. that's encouraging, isn't it? Thank you very much. So uh, thanks, Brandon, and uh, we'll talk to you again very, very soon. And uh, take care, everyone.